God damn, do I love New York for this time of year. Yeah, oh my God, I was walking down 50... Oh, I saw a bunch of Instagram uh, thoughts in person going down Times Square today. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's weird. Kind of look exactly what you think they'd look. Insta thoughts. Yeah. Uh, what were you doing in Times Square? Oh, I was get heading toward Midtown Comics. I was gonna say, you trying to score some horse off a cookie monster? Well, what's up? Uh, no, but now I may have to just saw Times Square waiting for Instagram <laughs> models because holy shit. Ha ha ha! Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're out of towners, though. That's yeah. true. What are you going to say to them? Oh, I'm a comic book writer from Queens. Come back with me on the J, Z, or the N train. I have Ethereum. It's it's only an hour and a half from here. Uh, hey, hey, it's 30 <laughs> minutes away. Things will oh, happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Things shall uh, happen. Well, what do, you, ass. what do you say, boys? You want to get the ball rolling here? I didn't realize we started, but yes. <laughs> ah, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. Yeah, I know. Mm. I realized it. No, of course, pretty asshole. No. So, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's Casey Jones podcast, where the only good bug is a dead bug. I'm your host, Grim Harbinger, Matt Keller, and joining me today for the most compelling piece of fascist art ever made is Ian and Josh. How are we doing, boys? I'm doing well. Um, I had to work today, burned my hand in a really awkward place. Again? Yeah. Uh, I was pouring out uh, the marinara sauce from the pot, and some got like on the side of my finger, but the side face, side of my index finger facing my middle finger. Oh, somehow. Oh, the gravy the places, bites back. Yeah. But other than that, I'm good. Oh. That's what you get for saying slurs against the Italian I'm, types. So I'm still sore from Thursday. <sighs> so, like a little bit. <laughs> Ian, how are you? Oh, I just saw the script, I saw the first chunk, and I'm right, baby! Ha-ha! <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing... I'm doing very good, though, otherwise. I mean, that's shitty-ass news. Um, sorry. I'm prognosticating by reading the script audience. Ooh! <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, actually pretty good. I, I, some is just awesome in New York, I mean, other than the random piss smells. Any you know, work can be tiring, especially it's a... Uh, Sometimes ACs don't work in certain sections of a lab. That should not be a thing. But other than Ooh, that, getting swampy I get, for science. Well, no, well, it's it's odd. Look, it's like odd pockets. It's kind of like the, you know how like um you know in, if you're in a haunted house, if uh, you f feel like a cold patch. I was gonna say generally, I know when I'm in a haunted house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like the exact opposite. It feels like just. The devil's asshole is just pumping just straight up uh, heat down your backside. There's there's a loose steam vent somewhere in the hospital, and it's just like, ah, I hope you enjoy 140 degree ambient temperatures because that's what I got for you. Plus, I the uh, there's no bacteria. There can't be. But uh, that is actually a pretty cool thing about being in like one of those bigger buildings in New York because they legitimately are steampunk like con ed is a steampunk oh, oh, organization oh, yeah no there's pipes weaving in and out of the guts of the building there's the, mach the machine rooms that just have random bo bops and bits there's cert like these big ass co computers for the time and they're like the size of an average printer 
doubled. I don't know how that's what they use. That rocks. Chunky boys. They use steam to disinfect, like, all the medical instruments yeah. and anything else that might need to be. It's. I, I think New York might have the single surviving municipal steam system left in America. You mean, like, steam? Oh, you mean, like, steam within the building? Yeah, so but Con Ed, their steam service is pretty unique, all things considered. It was. It's not something that you find elsewhere. Really? Not even in Boston? I don't think so that yeah it's that's actually fascinating why is that it was it's something that was more common during the victorian era because you know steam was the most efficient way to do oh, work oh so be kind of like silicon valley at the beginning just putting up solar panels everywhere despite like let's say 20 40 50 years now we we developed something similar but like asynchronous in- uh con ed legit that's uh one of the special things about New York, giant steam pipes that occasionally mm. catastrophically explode like it's a yeah, Michael Bay actually film. we have that a lot. Now, I remember. Didn't we, like, destroy a street by accident? One of steam Yeah, pipes? like a whole yep. block. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Holy shit, was it an entire building just destroyed by a steam pipe? Yep. I think so, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, just memory hold that. It was like 20... What, when was that, 2017? Yeah, it was only like two or three years ago. Crud. Huh. Hey. It, it New York steam explosions beat Florida toxic waste leaks any day. That's true. Yeah. One is just uh, <laughs> it's one and done. It's water. What can you, what can you do? Uh, the other one's uh, <laughs> a biblical plague. Well, we've gotten over our Superfund thing. We've remediated all of our Superfund sites in the immediate area. You know, Fred uh, Staten Island is a big park on top of the trash dump. We're over it. Don't we have a nu- don't we have like a nuclear plant nearby, like a Three Mile Island? Is th- yeah, Three Mile Island. That's that's chilling. Yeah, that's near us, right? Indian Indian Point is shutting down. That's uh, okay. that's the one that was still running, and it's bullshit. Thankfully, we have plenty of uh, renewable, you know, like uh, solar and wind and hydro in this state because otherwise, we'd be truly fucked. Can I just ask one more question? Sure. Are we pro or anti nuclear? I'm not quite sure where I would stand. I'm pro nuclear personally. That's where because I feel like I just feel I just feel always the problems with the waste. I think we need like a good waste. Put it in a goddamn mountain. Just yeah. put it. Just hollow out another goddamn. We have plenty of mountains. Put it in the mountain. Shoot it into the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Fuck it. Yeah. Why not? Fuck it. <laughs> we have gigantic empty salt mountains right in New York. Just put it in the fucking. You're okay. Right. No, definitely don't put it in a salt mountain. That's not a good idea. Really? Why? <laughs> That's a bad... Well, those things are not particularly stable all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. You're pointing. No, you want to put it in, like, Yucca Mountain, where it's in the middle of the motherfucking desert, and it's made out of completely inert sandstone that is not going to get wet anytime soon. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, don't just do that. Who cares? Okay. It's better than choking to death on whatever the hell else we're doing, but... So, I do want to move on, though, Sorry. to a little bit of weapons-grade irritant for you in particular, Ian. So don't apologize. It's just that I, I, I guess in what a is, sick way... What is weapons-grade irritant? Well, you know how I would get on Ian's case about, uh, he, he said previously that DeSantis is going to be the next new hotness. That's the Florida governor, the Republican governor of Florida. Um, and what do I find published on the Hill today but an article titled Is DeSantis the New Reagan? Uh, so, oh no. Ian... Are you ready to? Are you ready to make me eat some crow? 
<laughs> yeah, no, we're gonna probably have to eat crow to survive for a bit. Uh, eating crow? Yeah, yeah, As in, yeah. It's uh, gonna be a straight humble pie eating my hat. I, 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 I'm just uh, in the words of one of my friends, I'm Cassandrian. Uh, I predict the future, but no one believes me because I'm just a little bit too on the point. The absurdity just it it, it betrays the mind. How can this dumpy ass? Clearly corrupt Epstein up motherfucker. Epstein up motherfucker. I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's a good descriptor. There's nothing wrong with uh, that. Who, uh, <laughs> like, yes, it was sanctioned by the Democratic Party of Florida, but still, like, you know, did favoritism for a uh, pharmacy to, you know, for distribution of uh, drugs. More importantly, he did withhold uh, <clears throat> vaccines because of political favoritism. So, you know. Oh, that guy. Yeah. So he, in the long scheme of Florida ghouls, especially Republican governors who have run the state within our lifetimes, Ron DeSantis has a huge benefit. You know who are the two most prominent Florida Republican governors while we've been alive? Rick Scott yeah. and... That's right. That's one. Who's the other one? Go back a little bit further in time. Think about it. God, I, I, is, he the, is he the... um John Ellis... B-b-b-b-bush. Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. God damn it. Compared to Jeb Bush, who is the most boring person who has ever existed, and Rick Scott, who is a thinly veiled lizard man. <laughs> yeah. That, Rick Scott made me believe in the reptilian conspiracy. Truly, yes. Ron DeSantis. Thinly veiled lizard he man. He truly looks like a superhero. Google Rick Scott. No, and see literally. What I mean. He looks he Rick Scott. He lo Rick Scott, Florida. He looks like um, the guy who plays Superman. Uh, what's his face? He looks like a dumpy Lex Luthor. He's a bunch of, like, flesh-colored paste taut over a skeletal construct. This picture specifically, he looks like one of those leopard geckos that just sits there and smiles at you. Yeah, oh, that's Lord. a good... Uh, who? He looks like he's about to... Uh, he's about to lick his eyeballs yeah, to retain moisture in them. Yeah. God, I'm, dele I'm deleting... I'm do I can't look at it. Oh God! Look how Scary. moist his eyes are. Uh huh. It almost looks like he's high. Yes, he's high on the blood of the innocent. Also, bath yes. salts. So it is Florida. Oh, did we talk about McAfee as well? Do you think DeSantis had uh, some uh, blood on McAfee? No, no. John McAfee, if he was killed by someone instead of just taken by his own insane impulsivity, it was the CIA. Ron DeSantis had nothing to do with that. This is John McAfee we're talking about. Epstein, DeSantis. Mm -mm, CIA. That DeSantis, he's uh, domestic operations. This is that's McAfee, true. He, that, was, that, he was abroad. That's true. Never mind. So during a recent panel discussion on MSNBC between Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, um, who, according to the author, quote, appear to have a solid understanding of politics, neither here nor there, um, Joe Scarborough, who is a former Republican congressman himself before a dead girl turned up in his office. Whoopsie. Oh. Weird. Yeah, oopsie. Um, <laughs> he said, but my God, you should have seen the response for Ron DeSantis. He's been in Republican politics for decades, the person he was talking to, and he had never seen any response for a Republican politician since Ronald Reagan in the 1980s. And this is more from the author, again, Douglas McKinnon, yeah. who says, the highest honor in his professional life was working for Ronald Reagan in his White House. 
He served as a writer for him, as a matter of fact. And he does not claim to be an expert on all things Reagan, but he did speak several times with the president while he was there, so I guess that's where he gets his bona fides from. Yeah. And I, he goes on to say we, they shared a heart-to-heart conversation about the two of them having alcoholic fathers who neglected them. Yeah. To wit, uh, Ron Reagan didn't learn the right lessons there because talk to Ron Reagan Jr. about how much he loves fucking old St. Ronnie. Ronald Reagan loved to get a little tipsy, right? Well, it wasn't so much that. It was that he was a a real piece of shit. So he had a a couple of sons. There's Michael and Ronnie. They're the prominent ones these days. Yeah. Michael's adopted. Hmm. Really? Michael is a far-right radio talk show host. And Ron, Ron Reagan Jr., is part of the atheists of America. Yeah. (laughs) And had a Super Bowl ad about how it's okay to be atheist. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. They're both. And so he was. The, they're both amazing. Ron Reagan. sons in different ways. Yeah, that's that's kind of beautiful to be honest. Well, Ron Reagan Jr. was the favorite son who was you know given everything and anything, and hated Ronnie because he rightly, quite rightly, saw him as a monstrous piece of shit. Whereas yeah, I mean, Michael, the adopted son, apparently couldn't get the time of day from the Gipper. And spent every single second trying to be his fucking brown nose and little toady. Then why the fuck did he adopt him? Who knows? Politics. Probably some. Yeah. I guess so. Weird Roman type shit. You got to adopt some boy for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> this is some weird Roman Roman. Oh no, shit. no, yeah, totally. Like they basically are just saying, Ron DeSantis shall have it, my spirit, my soda, my suata. The the spirit of conquering that has been passed down since Genghis Khan, mummy. The the Ronnie Jesseret. Yes, the Ronnie. Jesseret. The Ronnie Jesseret <laughs> has been awakened. Times of Quashas has arisen. There shall be <laughs> the a- Gipper has awakened. War, war has come. War is life. Raise the dune worms, mummy. Raise the sand storms. Let the spice <laughs> flow. May my cry be heard by the stars and be felt by the babies of... Oh, what's... What was I talking about? (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't know what I'm scared of more. The fact that you ad-libbed that or you you probably based that on something. Uh, Ah. I'm gonna fucking die. I'm gonna die. Who is Baron von Harkonnen against the <laughs> fucking Ronnie Jesseret? Ronnie Jesseret has risen through space. I'm, I'm trying to think. To uh, it, is, it, it is me, Baron von Kissinger. <laughs> I, uh, I have. I cannot, under any circumstance, uh, advise these actions in light of the uh, the powers of, of the Impala. Silence, Kissinger. I see things that you wouldn't understand. Times, they are changing. Oh, wow. Hi, everyone. I- Welcome to our Dune episode. <laughs> ah, um- shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think everything would fit in that uh, cleanly. Yeah, that, that, that was fun. But 
uh, back to this bullshit, I guess. Uh, back so, to, uh... He, he continues, and I'm sorry, Ian, but he, apparently he doesn't agree with you. Because he says, so, is DeSantis the next Reagan? No. But guess what? He doesn't have to be. He simply has to be the best version of the one and only Ron DeSantis. He can reach voters by being himself. So I guess he just has to keep on uh, doing the weird psycho uh, backbiting shit. And he, too, will become president of America. Hey, this is uh, Ron Reagan from the afterlife saying, you don't have to be me. You have to be your own gipper. So do it for the gipper. Be your own sociopathic piece of shit that probably preys on children, the elderly, pretty much anyone. How I see his prey. No, Ron DeSantis really does have the, the gipper act down, senselessly killing huge amounts of people who have no recourse uh, for Reagan during the AIDS epidemic. hey he, That was his deal. And Ron DeSantis, how many old people did he murder and sweep under the rug? Uh, Probably a lot. Probably as much as Cuomo. Yeah, I'm, just as much. Yeah, easily. I'm gonna bring that up. So anyway, um, well, here let's get let's get this next paragraph down. So, in a number of ways, DeSantis burst onto the political scene because of his response to the COVID nineteen lockdown. So, DeSantis was an anti lockdown. Of governor. course, he was. Yeah, I know. It was Florida. <laughs> My response to this is: it's going to be really awesome when the ultra mega florida variant of covid comes out that makes your eyes boil in your skull do you think that's what's gonna happen you mean, it's not already, you mean it's not already out it will be soon with the petri dish of a state that he's running oh well, they said that about spring break and nothing happened lots of stuff happened after spring break last year we got away with spring break this year because people had their shots no this year yeah not la last year well anything really happened last year either Yes, yes, it was awful. The entire country, the middle of the country was on fire last summer. That's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it has been a pretty long decade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wild how that works. This is one of my favorite and least favorite things to say, but if the Democrats were competent, yeah. they would make hay out of that. They would point out, hey, remember when your freaking shithead nephew came home and gave the entire family COVID? Where, where was he? Ron DeSantis is Florida. But no, that'll never happen because that would require uh, remembering things. Not to mention boomers go to Florida and go like they, they're go, they go to Florida. Boomers go to Florida. Not to also mention someone's going to have to say they were wrong. And no one wants to do that. Yes. That is exactly right. Look, there's only the supreme law. Denial and violence. <laughs> violence yeah. is the supreme authority. Violence has solved every problem across all of human history. And that's why in Minecraft, allegedly, I recommend violence. Well, truly, yeah, no, I, I, got, I got nothing because are we about to start the movie? Because I feel like this has to go straight. Well, I think we should, because honestly, the rest of this article is just about well, does he think Ron DeSantis is going to win the presidency in 2024? And the answer to that is, uh, any Republican who is more charismatic than Mitt Romney will defeat Joe Biden. So, yes, he may well, but we don't know how that's going to turn uh, out because Republicans may decide that God knows what they'll decide to care about by 2024. Ron DeSantis could be persona non grata by then. That is true. Who knows? Like, Ron DeSantis allegedly will probably be found with some Brent boys, but, you know, who knows? I can't wait. I Maybe cannot someone wait. will set it up that way. No, I'll be the excuse.
That would be pretty nice. We can all hope for nice things, right? Good for Ron but- DeSantis and his progressive sex life. Hmm, quite. If only he could accept himself for the crazy sex-loving swinger that he is. It, there's five more days in pride, DeSantis. Give it your all. Yeah, man. Get- Come out in your leather doggy suit yeah. and get freaky with your wife and his boyfriend and her boyfriend. Get, get or his boyfriend and their boyfriend. They're everyone's boyfriend and Ron DeSantis <laughs> and your father all at the same time and your father, who's also in love with Ron DeSantis. Just get in that fun party and just start. You know those hands; they'll start moving. You know where they're going. That's right. That's right. But I think we spent enough time on this bullshit. So why don't we get our popcorn and our giant buckets of corn syrup water? And head back to the movies. The movies! Yay! We have another solid gold classic for you all today. That's a solid gold classic there. Yes. 1997's Starship Troopers, as a matter of fact. Yay, Verhoeven. Yay, we all love him. But yeah, Starship Troopers pits a global human society and movie critics versus the audiences held under the jackboot of fascism against an alien race that's uh, closer to bugs than anything else. And by the end of today's show, we will try and explain just why we think this movie is so good. But before we do that, what's everyone's experience with Starship Troopers? Like, uh, has anyone read the book? Or I've seen the movie a few times. Uh, I first saw the movie because uh, of Ivan, and then uh, read the book well, that's, a, that's somewhat of a lie. I started to read the book, then it was Robert Heinlein reading. I mean, like, writing. And I gave up. I gave up, because it just felt like straight up fascist. It, well, the movie felt ironically fascist. It's a, it, it's very, it's a very hard tone to pull off, but once the, uh, you're, you're dropping the woman that you were carrying from her burn wounds of the, the you know, her, arm just disappearing just to drop her to like essentially high five a dude who really killed something awesomely like you're watching like a twitch stream that's fascism 100 <laughs> percent. that's yep. fascism folks for me i had a giant box of pulp sci-fi books and one day i just looked through them and i said oh i know this is a movie i should read this and then I looked, you know, I did a little research, and I found out that Heinlein was a straight fucking freak. Oh, super freak, super freak. He's super freaky and fashy. Yes, absolutely. And it re- it's reflected in his writing style, which is disjointed. Um, Misogynistic. Uh, deeply so. And just, you know, it's just a weird thing. It makes you think the entire time, huh, wonder what was going on inside of uh, old Robbie Heinlein's head while he was writing this one, besides uh, light speed slurs from every direction. Apparently he thought America wasn't patriotic enough back in like 1955 or 56. That's impossible. That What? Yeah, right? Like, Can you imagine being such a sore winner in 1955 America that's like, this is not conformist enough! Everyone is not wearing a skirt. Everyone wears skirts. Did he want it to look like fucking Bioshock Infinite, <laughs> where everyone's just always praising the founding fathers or something? You know, no? kinda, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, if you read like the the vet the veterans uh, that they venerate, it's kind of the founding fathers. They 
venerate uh, institutional uh, court-martialing, and Ver Verhoeven does a really good job of just putting it directly in some of the commercials, their mythology of, like, you get charged, trialed, and executed in the same day. Efficient. Very efficient. That's, that's what Heinlein said. That's what he wanted, yes. And I think in the book he says, oh, legal trials, and all the processes used to take years and millions of dollars and thousands of man hours, and now it just gets done all at once, and, and everyone can go back to being their productive selves. And it's like, ha ha, oh my. Oh boy. Oh my. For the meat grinder. For humanity. But yeah, the entire time you're reading the book, you're thinking, oh no, this is bad. And honestly, Heinlein does not sugarcoat Johnny Rico's life in the military infantry. I believe the book opens with, like, I'm sleep-deprived. Every time we sit down, all of us sleep. Anytime any of us aren't moving, we sleep, because we can never sleep for more than 20 minutes at a time. But that's the price of war against the bugs. The bugs that they chose to start a fight with because they just, they, well... They wanted the stuff. They wanted the rocks. Well, they wanted yeah. their rocks to make more stuff, to build malls. They just didn't call it unobtainium. Nope, they just want the whole damn deal. Yeah, that, that, that's something. Hey, if humanity's gonna be a pestilence, it's gotta be ours, huh? I think that's, that's basically their open rationale, especially in the book, where it's like, humans never stop. We never want to stop growing. And if we have to facilitate that, we have to be the only ones. There can be no alternative to humanity. And Heinlein being the fascist sympathizer, wants you, the reader, to bring that back and say, Oh, I wonder how we can get to global unity. Uh-oh, uh kill, the, kill the different people. Oh. What was also really sublime about the Verhoeven cut of this is, like, he, he almost predicted this. There's another cut? No. I mean, I'm, I'm, that, oh. The, just, Versus the book, he meant. The book. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, the, like, the, the framed egalitarianism of their dystopia it's like everyone can get in on this brutal brutality it's like the yeah I, it's the predicting that cia thing that's happening now exactly absolutely and i suppose to get more into the movie itself let's get some basics yeah. down here paul verhoeven directed obviously well, Ivan. And he had an ensemble cast of rock-solid character actors to fill out the entire film. Um, they managed to elevate some very, very strange situations lifted from the source text and turned it into a movie that just flat-out did not resonate at the box office in 1997. And yet, in 2021, after two decades of endless war against a faceless terrorist other, for some reason... This saga of poor Johnny Rico being endlessly traumatized by senseless violence is a little more fitting for today's world. Once he gets the small little speech of confidence that ensues that connects him to someone, they immediately die. Yeah, well, everything, everyone he loves dies. Almost, almost. almost. Well, well, also, I just realized, well, okay, um, his entire life is dictated by violence and vengeance which is not good but I just realized uh, when they're rescuing the general everyone that could have information on the true intent of the bugs gets killed and not even saved because of Rico's code of honor for a lot of uh, 
when we get to that, we'll, we'll talk about that bit in a little while when it comes to the, the final showdown with the bugs yeah. on planet P. But here, let's talk about the cast real quick, because Johnny is played by Casper Van Diem. Johnny goes from private to corporal to sergeant to lieutenant over the course of the movie. You have Dina Meyer as Private Dizzy Flores, who is one of the love interests, who basically the minute she and Johnny get together, she is just like fucking run through by some spider bits. She gets fridged hard. Absolutely owned. And I will say this, something like 20 million people die during the course of Starship Troopers, just based on the lore of the world as it's presented. Yeah. Damn, those are rookie numbers. Well, every single person that Verhoeven does put on screen to show you dying, it, it hurts. It, he does a great job making you feel the important deaths when he wants to. You know what's funny? All the important deaths, they're all, they're all so mundane in their nature, too. It's not like some crazy heroic last hand. No, just, he also he gets hit by just a normal bug. No, no, the last one. The last mm-hmm. one's really great. Well, I well, well, no, I'm just saying most of them. Most of them, yes, are totally senseless. Absolutely. Well, Lieutenant Ratzik, yeah. he's just in the wrong position. He's just standing on top of a bug. How was he supposed to know that it was underneath him? Yes, that was Michael mm-hmm. Ironside as uh, Lieutenant Ratzik. Oh, I love his voice. He's such a good, such a good uh, voice actor. Really dope. We also got Denise Richards as Captain Carmen Ibanez. Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris as Colonel Carl Jenkins. Say the Goebbels, the Ubatazzi. Yeah. Jake Busey as Private Ace Levy. <laughs> oh, that's Dave right. Oh, Busey. He is so goddamn ugly. Oh, my God, does he look bad in this film. Oh, with the guile haircut from Street Fighter 2. Yep. yep. You got Patrick Muldoon as Xander Barkalow, who is the romantic foil to Johnny Rico. You got Clancy Brown, all-time great character actor, as he's a Sergeant Zim, originally. So the, the senseless violence of Starship Troopers is meted out equally by human an alien bug thing alike. Just no mean feat for semi-sentient organisms that are the uh, arachnid race of Clendathu. Well, they're not even really the race of Clendathu. They're, they're um, the, the offspring of the queen, the, the progenitor race. Isn't, isn't Clendathu their homeworld? No, that's one of the problems with the bugs. They're not quite... Sh- they gather around Kondatu because their tech- biological technology allows them to easily shoot asteroids out to space if, you know, as, like a, as a fort, but that's not actually where they originated. They're not, no one's quite ah. sure where they originated from. Is this some other movies thing, or did I just miss it every time? No, it's just, no, it's just directly... It's just... It's in the book more than anything. Oh, okay. I never read the book. It's more in the book, but it's also alluded to in the in the movie because Carl, when he's talking about the numbers situation, and they're saying they just need to find one brain, like brain bug. So the fact they're having a hard time finding one brain bug means there either is only one or there's many. There's probably many. Exactly. And you're totally right. So the implication that Clendathu is the home world is in that opening reel right before they get, uh, Rico's entire original company gets totally mulched. Yeah, 
And the literally the the intro to that theater of war is the captain of the Denise Richards ship saying someone made a big mistake. <laughs> like a, a huge, yes, huge. a huge mistake. Once they finally get to that, it's like uh, someone really fucked up. Oh no! <laughs> now the aliens again. They're called bugs in universe. They occupy the Klandathu star system, which is on the opposite side of the Milky Way from Earth. We would have to, like, go out of our way to find them. Yes. They are a purposeful juxtaposition to the human mastery of technology. They have an entirely biological, organic construct of not just colonizing other planets, but attacking extraterrestrial objects and entire other planets altogether. It's not entirely sure... We're not entirely sure how they have commandeered the gravity field to launch asteroids at Earth, but they do it, apparently, pretty consistently. I feel like... Yeah. I, Just don't think about it. Well, no. Here's the thing. It's a, it could either be they have either very advanced technology that we should be very afraid of because it allows them to warp speed like rocks across the Milky Way in, a, in such a trajectory that it can hit Earth and kill us, or it's a false flag. And essentially the... Uh, no, dude, they're psychic. They are obviously psychic as hell. Yeah, well, they are psychic as hell, but what that doesn't mean telekinesis. Telekinesis is the ability to... Could be. They're bugs, dude. We don't know what they do. I... So there's two arguments to be made here, I suppose. Yeah. Do we believe that the Terran Federation is so supremely omnipotent that they're capable of being such perfect manipulators? Or we don't know shit about the bugs, and the bugs are legitimately fairly complex beings. Well, no, I, th I'm I think they're going with the second. I think they're fairly complex <laughs> beings, but I think not in the way that of immediate um well, they could have billions of years of natural selection on their side. Exactly, but there, there's something else about them. It's like when Verhoeven like had very little to work with, considering he was kind of working with the beginning of CGI. When the well, he refused to read the book too. He like tried and was like, "This sucks. This is very obviously a fascist book. Yeah, why, oh, why am I well, doing this?" This is why I love Verhoeven. <laughs> we have the exact same reaction yeah. to it. It's like, what's the shit? What is this shit? Oh, I powered through it because it was so fascinating to me. I was like. I had just read a bunch of books at the time. I was working at the public beach by my dad's house about the rise and fall of Nazi Germany. So I was looking for the fascist perspective. I was like, what is it like when they express themselves? And that, I think, is ultimately what drew me into the book more than anything. I was like trying to get Heinlein's weird fucked up brain. Yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. Sometimes I dip into the the dark period of Frank Miller's verse and like some like Ben Shapiro <laughs> stuff to really get oh, that. No. Yeah, Pig Man. Yeah. No, that's not no, that's not Frank Miller, but an amazing simulation. Right, right, right. The skin changer. But it's weird because that book is still like given to like sometimes Marines to like read. Oh no, people. Yeah, no, uh, Officer Corps have to read Starship Troopers. Yeah. They have to. Really? Yep. No, Starship Troopers is mandated reading in a lot of the military. Yeah, I, di I didn't realize it was that far. I just knew it was a thing within, like, the... As, as like, a warning sort of thing? No, or? as, like, this is how to, like, organize ranking and yada, yada, yada. The, this is the kind of machismo you want to shoot for, that kind of deal. I, I do know, I was say, I do know the book is very militaristic. 
Well, it, it's the equivalent of when Hitler gave away his favorite Western books to his favorite to his generals and said, "Like you need to be more inspirational novel like these little books." You see how the main character sneaks up against the enemy so perfectly and goes bang bang. Look at me, yippee kaye, whippy whippy. Well, there's also there are sections of the book where Heinlein is very flat with the indignities of being a deployed soldier. Let's say. Well, that was the weird. He did. I guess because he was such a weird dude. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He does not sugarcoat the way to victory. The The carrot at the end of the stick for Robert Heinlein is winning. And he yeah. wants to sell you on depriving yourself of goodness and happiness in search of securing that win. That's what fascism is. Selling out and enjoying it. So Trump. Well, that was like a literal selling out. I mean like going for broke, like total war selflessness yeah yeah the complete and utter like everything for the state because you have like ascended from this the the tyranny of individuality and have ascended toward the need of the whole and thus you shall do anything to achieve that you know the whole it's glory for humanity yeah glory for humanity as starship troopers despite obviously not being a word-for-word transliteration of the book is a movie of many high-minded questions of morality, I found. A few of which I would like to spend some time on today. I bet you would, you nerd. I would, yes. Yeah. That's why we're here. I have a podcast. Of course I'm a nerd. What kind of <laughs> own is that? You don't think I know that? God damn. Ian, he got us. We're on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, and I'm also Bitch. a comic book artist. So that yeah. Who li- <laughs> we all, all of us, nerds are we. all have our crosses to bear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Josh's gamer hole. My comics. My podcast. This podcast. All the hours I spent. It's not really a cross to bear, but sure. That's something. Uh, yeah. Millstone around your neck. Yeah, or an albatross. Gamer stone. Is it just a stone, but it's... You're just chained to, like, one of your house foundations. That, that's <laughs> all it is. Yeah. It's an old Finnish folktale. When, when Josh was young, in the days of old... He stayed in the gamer hole, then became the gamer stone. I love Finnish folktales so much. It's a rock with a US with a with like a flash drive stuck in it, and whoever's so worthy can pull the flash drive out, gets access to all my shit. Ooh, I got to do that at Disney World when I was a little kid. That made my life. Oh yeah, it was fun. Nice. I I I didn't think I pulled it out. I saw someone pull it out though. Yep. No, t- three kids failed in front of me, and I got to pull it out. Nice. Yeah. Yes, it did. I felt like a special boy. But then you got a podcast. Yeah, I know. It was all downhill from there. Um, So the first question I want to talk about is in a scenario Uh where there are two interstellar species, humans versus bugs, Mm -hmm. in the case of the movie, and there's no way to reconcile differences. So please bear with me on this assumption. There is no way to get out ahead of things and do diplomacy to the bug thing. Okay. Is there truly a good or a bad in the conflict, or is this merely uh, a clash of titans scenario? Are, are we say, say say it again? Is there a good or bad in humans versus bugs? Mm, no, nah. no, because we're just doing it either for survival or just because we need something that they have, and even not need something that they have, just we want something they have. More importantly, I think we were just. 
fucking gluttonous. That's the implication. We supposedly have just been pretty much just dunking all over the galaxy with very little I mean, pushback. Not not to be that guy, but morality is kind of a made up concept. So, well, I'm not even going about morality. I'm just th- I'm just saying. No, but I'm saying for for good or bad. No, there is no good really or matter. bad in this. Yeah. My my point is, it's just human consumption just grew so avarice that it pushed into the bugs' domain, and now uh, the bugs who pretty much seem self sufficient. Because if you notice on these planets, there's no, there seemingly does there's no real ecosystem or food source. I mean, there is oxygen, so that means there has to be some plant life, but there's no general... Uh, ecosystem. They're just kind of there. Exactly, yeah. which means... So in the books, the planets are a lot more lush. But because it's a movie, you have to shoot somewhere. No, um, oh, I completely get yeah. that. But even from the orbital drop, you only just see water and desert. Like, even from mm. the... the the paintings. I'm just because I the movie is its own thing, so you have to kind of just say the movie is its own thing. Yeah. Quick aside, that was shot in Hell's Half Acre, Wyoming. Ah. Hmm. Yes, it's about a, it's a, a about a half acre, and it looks like uh, bug butts all over the place. W- was it uh Was it shot with the Mormon extremists? Uh it's the whole every shot on Clendathu and Planet P. I, I, I believe know. is Hell's I, Half I, Acre. I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. But uh, sorry, you know how I get. I know. Um, you're in the zone. I know, I know. So I think for me, I'm going to go with the people. Because my essential argument is this. Political systems can change. I don't think it's necessarily a given that humanity would be forever ruled by a unitary fascist military dictatorship. Yeah, no, that, no, that, yeah. that's not my supposition either against it. It's against going against the bugs is that we're clearly outmatched, outmanned, and outgunned by basically a perfect uh, species that we can never quite escape. And Yeah, you, so you can't escape them, so you have to try and destroy them. But the thing is, we didn't, that didn't need to be an option because uh, there's no inclination that they're automatically violent. It's just we are violent in reaction. We have no- well, they have attack drones and tank-sized flame beetles. Yeah, so do we, but- Those don't just come out of nothing. And the general says they yeah. are like us, so that's a problem. But the thing is, we also have psychics, so maybe the problem isn't the fact that they exist when we have to kill them. The problem is- we- And the psychics did just come out of nowhere, so- uh, I guess, yeah, if we could have something come out of nowhere, so could they, right? Exactly, so- there's a there's a metaphysical argument here that I don't think has enough terra firma to quite uh, hold ground, but it seems like the psychics are either a creation from first contact with the bugs, like, you know, military like needed something that was comparable to the bug technology to give them an edge, because they saw some shit was co- going down <laughs> going downhill real quick after the first mm-hmm. asteroid. Made in, made in the lab. Exactly. No. Well, not the bugs. Oh. No, the, the psychics. There is, the thing is, the problem may not be actually the, killing the bugs. It's just living long enough to communicate with the bugs effectively. And then kill them. Well, then no. We separate into groups and then kill the certain groups of bugs and let the other groups of bugs work with us and kill the other bugs and possibly other groups of humans working with the other bugs. You know, good war, not bad war. <laughs> so, Ian, would you like a little how about historical precedents 
for humans versus bugs being a war of annihilation, let's say. I was going to say, are you going to talk about the cleanliness of your bedroom? No. Thank, thank you, I guess. Um, <laughs> My thing uh, is not the bugs, because they're clearly an intelligent society. So, yeah, so here you go. Rome and Car- the wars with Rome versus Carthage. They kept on happening over and over and over again because the problem never went away. You could defeat someone in a war all you want, and they could promise, oh, we're done, we're done. But then the minute you turn around, you both start trying for the next war. Yeah. Yeah. Once Rome finally destroyed Carthage, Cartago delenda est, they salted the goddamn ground. That, <laughs> yeah. that was that. Was that a good thing? No. But if you are a Roman and your idea of civilization is Roman, then destroying Carthage is all you got. That is true, but I would still say it was, um, it's an impossible... <laughs> we've given ourselves an impossible task. Burning down Carthage? No, we're Carthage in this case. The bugs are the oh, Romans. No. <laughs> because no matter how much we, we, we protest, no matter how much we f- say that we are superior in knowledge, no matter how much we say we have our arts and our maths, even according to their goddamn supreme authority of violence, the bugs have something that we don't have. The sheer capacity for survival in the extremes without any necessary training. It's purely instinctual. The fact that there's a sentient race of brain bugs that that coordinates not only these varying species, but seems to be the progenitor, at least the middleman for the progenitor of these species, is marvelous and baffles us of what consciousness is. We're nothing in the monk in the. We are bugs in comparison to the bugs. (laughs) It would be funny if the brain bugs were some sort of devolved descendant of some other spacefaring humanoid race. That'd be funny. <laughs> that, like, once upon a time, it would be Tried. like a Rod... This would be a Rod Serling take on it. Like, the dark they were in Goldeneyed, where every time a new group of humans comes across the same thing, the monster they're fighting against used to be human. That would be a fun story. It's like... It's a, that would be a fun story. Yeah, yeah, 20 years, and it's like they're another species that looks completely, like, alien but they find out it's like just surprise bitch they were humans really once. well again fucking advanced this, this yeah. it is a fun story it's dark they were in golden hide oh. <laughs> by not 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 rod serling oh is that gene roddenberry hold on wait ray bradbury ray bradbury that's it that's ray bradbury yes the martian chronicles okay yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah that would be the ray bradbury take on the whole thing how about that um that sounds that dope yeah it, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a good story, and I think that's really Heinlein's main failing, is that there are a lot of other people in sci-fi who wrote similarly apocalyptic stories that were not so simple. Or weren't so fascist. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, the you know, Foundation, Dune, a, like, uh... Everything Philip K. Dick wrote. Yeah, oh, Philip K. Dick, uh... Uh, do androids dream of electric sheep? What now? Um, we sell dreams whole incorporated. I think is the one that we sell dreams. We'll sell your dreams wholesale. Yeah, yeah. that that step for the that that was the one that we used for Total Recall with the unions and the block. Mm-hmm. Okay, then that's the and one. androids dream of electric sheep and was of, Blade Runner. And of yeah. course, uh, 
yes, yep. and man, the high castle, but like that's that's probably the most like fully fleshed out dystopia like as a book form, like because it's basically a travel log yeah. of shit. Apparently, the the TV show has taken an awful lot of liberties with the original yeah, short story because it's just a short story. So I mean, that's what they all are, aren't they? Yeah, but when you turn it, a short story into a movie is one thing. Yeah, into a series, I guess, is completely different. You're just you're riffing. Remember, Philip K. Dick was a guy on high amphetamines and legal weed. He was pretty... Sodium pentothal, too. Yes. Oh, yeah, that too, yeah. So, he was uh, just pouring out his heart and soul and mind. So, he's kind of like a real quick-read kind of guy. It's cool ideas that are hard to... Exp- it, it takes a really... T- I guess the only person that's come close to a Philip K. Dick concept was obviously Blade Runner, because that's just more, you give the world that he describes. And yeah. Legion has a very Ubik feel. I, would, I don't want to say they're comparable, because obviously Legion's its own FX show, but I, don't really, I can't really think of a good... Total Recall, I guess Total Recall, I mean, it's a good movie, but would, it, would you call it complete... Nope. Yeah, Total Recall is also a Philip K. Dick movie because uh, Verhoeven does play around with the concept of like uh, identity pretty willy nilly, especially in the beginning. Yeah, and he's got the the corporate ownership of Mars and uh, the tiered systems of society, but also like the sense yeah. of identity. Like, it, no, it's, it's very much a Philip K. Dick. Yeah, thing. yeah. The fact that you don't know if Orange Schwarzenegger is the, the it looks. It's. I mean, the entire movie is probably a simulation, but who knows. I think it's nice to believe that uh, Quaid got away. That's the nice thing. It really, it, it, the thing is, there's not really a bad ending. It's either Quaid got a really good vacation that kind of made him feel whole again, or he saved the world. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah. yeah. And Mars is now free. That's what I want to believe. Yeah. Okay, so the next portion of the movie, past the opening vignettes, you know, your standard uh, universe building, centers around Johnny Rico's life in near future Buenos Aires which is part of, again, the Terran Federation. And, again, in the original conception of the author, Robert Heinlein, wars fought across Earth in pursuit of the global unity that we see in the movie led to a global culture of English-speaking, curiously placid, despite being denied self-determination, yet highly militaristic people. Here, the tagline is, Service Guarantees Citizenship. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, if you don't enlist in the armed services, you are a second-class citizen, and you are denied all sorts of things that you take for granted today. Like voting, yeah. uh, ability to challenge uh, your uh, case in court, thing like that. Having babies. Babies. Well, no, no, not e- even that. Well, remember, you can you can buy your way into citizenship, like Johnny Ugar's parents, I think. No, they're not citizens. They're not citizens. You can be very extremely... You can acquire wealth and actually be very uh, influential mm-hmm. c- civilians, but you can't be a citizen without sacrificing the states. It's, uh, it's an updated version of Roman fascism, but with a little bit more corporatization, and they give more the patina of... um Like they, like in the recruitment drive, they're like, oh, you always can walk out the door, no one's going to think anything bad of you, but there's things that are clearly on the other side that are only there for citizens. And also, uh, again, the the alert. It, it, it's clear that from how it's constructed that the allure is that you will be the one doing discipline. Violence is like the only thing that gives respect in this world. It's uh, in the first sequence where very, very, very Conan. Well, here's the thing: 
violence is for Conan the Barbarian. Violence is an option to set the world right because the world is neither good nor bad, but is often made worse by men of horrific intent. And you must use violence to defend the few parts of the world that are slow that are good. Yeah, that are good mm. and slowly starting to flower. Because that's the real precious source of wisdom and humanity. That's how Conan sees the world. Uh, Fair enough. By the end of a sword, but with a with a meadow behind his back. Um, mm. This is just the world as a gigantic machine, a meat grinder of a, uh, like it's it's the fact that it's in Buenos Aires. It was an Argentinian fascist state at the time of Highline, I believe. Right? Yeah, Peronism is uh, an interesting ideology. That was only ever validated in the face of neoliberal selling. Argentina had a modicum of like high living standards before 20 years ago, and it has just been brutally stagnant since. Yeah, it's been a problem mm. there. They, they, uh, they still have sail ships in their navy, and they have a lot of... What? Yep, that's a thing. Uh, well, it's like, this is the problem with neoliberalism. Neoliberalism can't beat out a military dictatorship. That's how fucked we are. I mean, look at the rest of the world. The rest of the world, when faced with the choice between neoliberalism and going back to fascist dictatorship, they're choosing the latter. Because the fascist dictator gives the illusion of stability plus uh, incentive for your, your um, enlistment in, the, in, the, in their cause. They give you a direct benefit versus the neoliberal. Oh, everything, we're so much more prosperity, and you're actually eating shit. This is what happens when there's no left wing. This is what happens. You'll get the, benef you'll get the benefits down the line, don't worry. Down yeah. the line. Heinlein's world is the world where organized leftism has been totally, brutally eradicated. Yes, it has. The Chinese have been wiped out the face of the earth through nuclear war. Bad. Yep. Wow. This is after they already defeated the Western powers and essentially subjugated them to supposedly the horrible uh, tyranny of their rule in the um, in the badlands and you know corrupted and uh, fallen cities of like New York and London and yada yada yada. And then the veterans rose up. Oh, that's what they were going on about. Yeah, yeah, and then they nuked the Chinese off the face of the earth, ending communism completely, because for some odd reason, the Russians decided that yeah, they were done with that, too, at the time, I guess, because of the communists. I guess doing. so. Again, a lot of assumptions made by Heinlein that only make sense in Heinlein's mind. The, the, the thing is, he can't yada yada a nuclear exchange with the Chinese. And yet he did. Watch him. <laughs> Watch me yada yada the nuclear exchange with the Chinese. Mm. By the way, the lack of fall... I, is there also... Because, again, I only got to, like, I think the first 70 pages of the book. Is there a lot of nuclear fallout in the Heinlein book that's, like, described? He yada yadas it. He gets a, they get so over they, it. So it's also yada yada in the movie as well. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, the first appearance of Johnny's teacher, Mr. Ratchak, who's played by Michael Ironsides again. Hoorah! You first see him as... Johnny's high school history teacher, and he serves as the first non-propaganda peek into the realities of the world of Starship Troopers. Is he also missing an arm in the book? Well, it's two different people in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess it's more confusing for the movie. Yeah, so like Verhoeven decided to combine the two characters to 
have the payoff between the first disfigured man and the guy who's leading him in the arms in the MI. Mm. You know, just to make it a little sweeter. Also, yeah. it it just kind of fits the the parody of like the 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 Goebbels like uh, war propaganda. He was trying trying to mock and pitch at. Verhoeven, he was born in Nazi-occupied Netherlands. He sort of beat two rockets outside of his house being lit, like, sh shot up. Yeah. Well, like, down the block? No, or? in his backyard. In his backyard? Yes. So he had seen some shit from a very, very young age. He knows what it's like to coexist, quote-unquote, with violent fascism. Oh, yeah. Co the coexist bumper sticker, but it's... Uh, no, that exists. That's not yeah, a joke. That yeah, exists. That does exist. No. Yeah, so the, Mr. Ratchak is profoundly disfigured. His left arm is messily amputated above the elbow, and it, it hints at his past life something that's called the mobile infantry, or the MI. So the MI, in so many words, is uh, cannon fodder, and they know it. A popular motto in the book and the movie is, M.I. does the dying, fleet does the flying. <laughs> so, and Mr. Ratchak's return halfway through the film, as Rico's triumphant and inspiring leader, is uh, a great moment taken alone, but otherwise chilling when you consider just how deeply held these military proclivities are held within this society. And also, I believe in the book, um, MI, like, you you also have to volunteer for everything, but once you volunteer, do you have complete choice of where you go, or is it just, like, put... I think so, yeah. Because what's-her-name wanted to go be a pilot, right? Yeah, you could choose which section you want to oh, be okay. in. Okay, yeah, but you have to take... More or less. Well, yeah. okay, because it looks like, um, in the movie, it was, uh, you know, you had... You had Determined by aptitude scores in the movie, yes. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. In the book, they have, like, exosuits. Yeah, that's why I wanted to see. And they're shot down onto the planets by, like, these little attack pods. It's closer to Warhammer 40k with the descending, and Starcraft with the descending, like, ultramarines, space marines. Mm. Yeah. Heinlein was big on the kinetic strike deal. He was like, this is awesome. When you, when you think about it, Warhammer is very much based on Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. Well, everything's based on Starship Troopers. Explicitly so, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. No, 100%, yeah. It's Dune and Starship Troopers. It is. Made into the bleakest possible grimdark future. Because it's a parody of what was going on in, like, Britain at the time, right? Got it. Yeah. yeah. Guys, Fallout 3, yeah. like, Fallout, plural, fall, all the Fallout are the, is the dark universe from Starship Troopers where... The Chinese, we have nuclear conflict with the Chinese. That's why there's the power armor in the in the desert. That's why the hmm. yeah Brotherhood of Steel wear power armor. It's basically set in the immediate aftermath of the Chinese Western nuclear. You could basically fit them all in neatly with one exactly. another. Exactly. Yeah. Fallout. Fallout is the prequel to Starship Troopers. You heard it here first, folks. Kind of. Yeah, is. like the New California Republic's crusade against everyone who isn't a human is how they reset the world just in time for Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah this works. Yeah, that works. Mm -hmm. You don't even need to don't question it. Yeah, it's actually kind of a linear path. Mm -hmm. 100%. Now, one of the strangest, or rather, one of the strong... The strongest. The strongest. One of the strangest aspects, you dirty maggots. Oh, whoa. Oh, man. Whoa, man. What's these strange things you're telling me? But yeah, one of the strongest aspects of Starship Troopers is, for me at least, the how perfectly it shifts between tones 
in a scene or section of the movie. Like, unless you're truly cynical and dead to the joys of the moving picture, there's seldom a point of the story where a scene feels off in the way that, let's say, uh, Howard the Duck falls flat <laughs> consistently. Yeah, there's no duck fucking scene for this. That's a shame. I got about an hour into that movie last night, and wow, it was a bad idea. I think Starship Troopers could use with some duck fucking. Honestly, I think yeah. it needs more pussy, the uh, alien. Do you want to know more? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about Howard the Duck. Uh, it was bad. Don't watch it. But, so when Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven decides to make you feel something, it is successful. Humor, drama, suspense, it's just flat out action. Except horny. Oh, yeah, horny is just played for humor, more or less. Yeah, he really, uh, <laughs> he literally had a complete shower scene of, you know, some... Yeah, that good. was that was the least horny shower scene I've it ever seen. Well, that's supposed to be an exhibition of the jocular military yeah. culture. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. very impressed of how platonic they were able to keep it. Just, mm -hmm. You're good at directing. Yeah. Yeah, but no creepy but energy. You can you can sense creepy energy, some you know, like on screen. You mean you mean you've watched a canon film? Oh hell yeah! Oh hell yeah! So the the bargain that the actors worked with Verhoeven was they would agree to the scene if Verhoeven directed naked, and he agreed. Okay. That, so everyone was naked. <laughs> Dope. Yeah. Nice. You can see my flabby body now. Let us film. Uh, basically, that's probably how it works. It's like, yeah, I get it. You're uh, this is weird. I'm making you all get naked. How are we going to make this work? Oh, you want me to get naked too? Sweet. I was just going to have to pay you more or something, but I'll just get naked. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that works out bad. Do you want the cocaine like, now um, or later? Too late. Let's do it. Imagine imagine if Werner Herzog tried to do that shit. I would party so hard with Werner. Naked party with Werner? Can we partner with Werner and Verhoeven? Ooh. Yes. Werner, Verhoeven, and Uwe Boll. All the V. V, V, V. I think I think we've got a party together. Yeah, yeah. Well, the three Vs. The jokes on them though. We'll we'll like strap them to a Ludovico chair and make them watch Adam Sandler movies. No, only Uwe Boll gets that punishment. He's bad. Uh, no, Uwe Boll may actually. Uh, it may fix him. Yeah, it would. Yes, that's what. It is. So we have to fix. The rest of them are fine. Yeah, the rest of them seem chill. So mm -hmm. that's the movie going experience. We strap Uwe Boll to the chair, and then we have. That's that's the experience watching him go slowly, Same. either sane or insane. Yeah, sure, something super sane. Uh, the handful of scenes following Johnny in boot camp are of similar quality to Full Metal Jacket. I will stand by this. It is a perfect set of military boot camp scenes, right up to the tragic death of a corn-fed simpleton. That guy was fucking dumb. He was, but it was sad when he died. Yeah, I like the guy who gets knifed in the hand. Yeah, uh, Jake Busey's hand knifing that rock. Yeah, that yeah. Was dope. oh, that was Jake. That was Jake Busey. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember. Iron signs nailed. No, Clancy Brown nailed him with a knife in the hand. Yeah, I know it was Clancy Brown, but like I couldn't remember if it was Jake Busey. Um, and then Zim. And then later on, he um he he like wrestles what's her name, and then she's got the big welt on her fucking neck in the in like the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was actually I remember that. That was really good continuity. Everything that went on in boot camp was awesome. There, yeah. I, there is never a point in this movie where you're like, what am I fucking, this sucks. It's the comedy version of Full Metal Jacket, yeah. It's tight. Yeah. 
It is. Everyone knows the first half of Full Metal Jacket. Because that's all everyone ever watches. Yeah, because yeah. when Private Pile domes himself, it's fucking hard. It's yeah. hard to watch that. And then the rest of it is war as hell, and like, I want my mommy, and blood. Blood everywhere. True. Yeah. At least some of the blood isn't red in Starship Troopers. At least it's like some pleasant Nickelodeon greens and oranges being thrown in there. Gak. Gak and orange slime. I was like, damn, I'm kind of missing, like, Jamba juice right now. Oh, yeah, when Suge was just melting the face of that one bug, and he was getting covered with the the aggro crag slime. Yeah, yeah, that was a good scene, because, like, that entire descent is, like, when you see the bugs just kind of moving across the surface, you realize that they they kind of were just milling about like it was a normal, like, day. It's a normal day at the bug life. Yeah, just like... (laughs) A normal day at the goo factory, ready to make some gross stuff. Any protein matter or perhaps... uh, Floral dentritus, some, some floral dendritis on the ground? No. Oh, I say, good chap, I have found some floral dendritis right over this ridge. Floral Come dendritis, though. Oh no, it's those awful apes with the bobs. It's the naked apes with their shooty bits. Ghastly. <laughs> Why do we call them naked? They just cover themselves in the shiny things. The 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 Edwardian in- internal dialogue <laughs> of the arachnid but aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh, I, I want this so bad. I'm going to dub this over now. I say, Kante, have you seen these ghastly humans in their giant tin cans? They're so soft. They use the burn fuel instead of just flinging themselves through space. They, 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 they can't fly or, you know, communicate with their minds at all. It's They communicate with an orifice. Yeah, they communicate with orifice, and their sense can't leave messages for, you know, people and things to find. It's quite absurd. Ah, uh, no. Uh, some more glimpses at Terran propaganda now. The only good bug is a dead bug. Cut to the kids stomping on the cockroaches. Yep. And then you get the kids playing with the assault rifles. I think someone- didn't someone get shot in that sequence? No, 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 nobody got hurt in that scene. No, thankfully. not in real life, but in, like, in the movie. No, no, there was not any death in the, the kids fighting with the rifle scene. Fire but the shot. next one is the murderer who gets wrapped up and executed in a day. Oh, yeah, that one. And that was actually a cameo by writer Ed Newmeyer, oh. the, the condemned man. And then you get some classic agitprop, courtesy of Neil Patrick Harris playing the psychic Carl Jenkins. In that, uh, like a full Hugo Boss outfit. Uh, yes. SS Doogie Hauser. No, those are flat out SS uniforms. It's very funny. No, I, <laughs> the first time I saw it, he walked in, I'm like, uh, what movie am I watching again? Dr. Doogie Mengele. Because it starts off with the, this, uh, the movie, it's kind of fascist. But as the movie keeps going, it gets more fascist because at the beginning, just- it gets more and more fascist as you go along. That's what I loved about it. It's like the absurdity of the fascism. It's like, we literally just have to kill everything in sight. That's the only thing that works. It goes from 1936 Lenny Riefenstahl at the beginning. Yeah. The kind of like light and airy, like, oh, la-di-da, look at us. We're going to win. Don't worry about yeah. it. To 1942, just like true panic. This is what Germany looked like. There's. It's bad that everyone is cheering when the they say the bugs, they they, they kind of feel afraid. Because it's the first time that they're feeling afraid, which means it, 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 the, the humans are the Germans in this case. All of them. Every human is German. Ah, yes. 
the plan finally worked. <coughs> this is the Mitchell and Webb sketch. They're wearing the same uniform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are flat out wearing the same uniform. Yeah, but other than them being clearly Germans, that means they also probably have the same trajectory as the Germans. So in, in the universe that Heinlein sets up, obviously World War II happened as it did. But I believe the implication is that American domination of the globe is so thorough. You have Carl Jenkins from Buenos Aires. You know? <laughs> Carl. <laughs> Wait, Carl Jenkins? No, just like generic Americano. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, and also, uh, oh. The they all speak English. They're all white people. Well, Verhoeven is the one who brings in the ethnic diversity. I believe in Heinlein's book, they there are. There is none. No, strange. Johnny is a Filipino in the book, actually. Really? So I suppose that there probably would be American ethnic diversity, but I believe the implication is the Western powers run the show now. In the, the global hegemony. I remember in Stranger in a Strange Land, all the main characters, the, yes, there were some from different parts of the world that were black, but it was like John A. Smith and Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Stranger in a Strange Land is honestly a pretty cool story. It, it, that is pretty cool, <laughs> but the problem is the women are written terribly. It's, it's cringeworthy dialogue. Yes. And it's Heinlein. Oh, it's Heinlein. No. Yes. It's a lot of it's, sweet it, pee and like, oh, look at those feather feet. Now, the, the, the mark of a true Heinlein novel is it's more fun to read the synopsis on Wikipedia than it is to read the actual book. Yeah, the, the overall gist of the overall gist of the book is cool. The, actually reading it's bad. It's cool as shit when you think about it, but then you read the book that Heinlein puts out and you're like, ah, Bobby. This is Bobby a piece of with shit. the bad brains. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at Bobby with the bad brains. His neck hey, look at this fucking fascist sci-fi author over here. He doesn't know. Bobby Smoothbrain coming at Ooh. you with another oh, book. Oh, he's as smooth as a bowling alley with the bumpers on. Smoother than a koala. <laughs> oh, that's smooth. It's so smooth you can polish it and see your face in it. It's so smooth it's completely frictionless and it's used by the Canadian curling team. Robert Heinlein's mirror-like brain. Yes, it's so it's so smooth. Smoothie from Happy would go. Damn. Do Robert Heinlein's smooth-ass brain dream? It dreams uh, of fascist sheep. <laughs> moving out of the Kubrick-esque boot camp shenanigans and boot onto camp. war in earnest. Boot camp shenanigans. Yeah. I would compare this stage of the conflict between the aliens and the humans as World War One in space. Except the humans are taking all the beating to themselves. Yeah, they... Well, they flash 100,000 dead in one hour on Klandathu. Well, <laughs> how are we supposed to know that they also... A species that somehow are... A that we considered dumb, that were somehow able to fling asteroids across space and time faster than the speed of light to reach Earth in matter of days. Uh, had yeah, how did, the, how did they do that? Wormhole. A literal wormhole? Well, it's also the allu that, that makes the illusion that they created the wormhole. They had to, you have to know, you can't throw something at something so perfectly and know what you're hitting. Like, it, you, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's the perfect fascist enemy. They're at the same time lesser than, they're literally bugs, but they are capable of executing the most perfect, evil, brutal attack against humanity. Because yeah, so you they can are fascist up real hard and just be like, look guys, an enemy. Fascism only works when you have an enemy. Yeah, no, that's the reason why I think the the, the be beginning of this uh, uh, battle was a false flag, but now the bugs are just 
Because they were completely caught off guard by the artillery. Like, yep. the fact that they have artillery was like, they thought it was just like lights. They have plasma artillery bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Wild it's pretty cool. It, le- it legitimately looks like the big things that the the Covenant would shoot at you in Halo oh, 2. Oh, the, ra- the wraiths? Yeah, they yeah they're flat out wraith blobs. Yeah, the wraith yeah. blobs. I, I, dude, some of the enemy designs, <laughs> enemy designs, alien designs in this movie are dope. Very, yeah, very, uh, Halo is definitely inspired by some of those. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Halo is flat out. That's why it's probably so popular, because it invokes a lot of imagery and tropes from some of the best sci-fi franchises out there. Bungie did a great job with that. That's very Yeah, true. they kind of, they created something very unique. Something more durable than their ownership of the IP, as a matter of fact. Well, the I mean, they kind of split to Bungie in three, four, three. It's a, it, it's complicated. It's but the thing that I think was interesting is that Bungie did kind of like took all. Bungie did kind of like the Starship Troopers of how it should have been done. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool alien fight stuff, and then you find that the aliens also think and have weird shit going on. Master Chief kind of there's a culture. Well, honestly, Master Chief is flat out the Heinlein conception of the mobile infantry with the power suit and being dropped with the pods. Oh wow. I didn't realize how straightforward Halo, the first Halo, yeah. is between. Yeah, you. Ju- they have Pine the dro- Lines book. Yeah, wow. they have the drop yeah, troopers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah even huh. in the pod. How about that? Yeah, like how he drops directly down. Also, if you read the, I mean, just read the books. Too. I mean, to be fair, at the start of the third game, you literally just drop in down. the suit, drops from orbit. Exactly. Yep. Uh, just ah, fuck it. I'm gonna just do it. What? Just download the Halo. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just him. He's like, oh fuck, pods. I'll just do it myself. Fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> I would also recommend for anyone who's interested in the Robert Heinlein books, just read the first couple of Halo books about Master I've Chief. Read a, I've read a few of the Halo yeah, books. They're yeah, they're good. They're actually well-written. There's a good universe created there. So the massacre on Klendathu, jocularly titled Big K by the soldiers. Big K. Big K. We love our ketamine! It gives us more absurdist comedy and the swift replacement of the failed commanding officers. The efficiency of the Terran Federation is no less cold and calculating when dealing with higher-ups than they are with uh, those insignificant enough to die. Well, of course, they don't die themselves, but uh, hey, accountability, right? Yeah, that's that's the one thing they got right in this entire movie. Accountability. <laughs> I think because Verhoeven realized if, I, if none of these people are somewhat accountable in any way, it, they'd be impossible to even watch. Yeah, there would be no sympathy at all. It would just end up like you were watching a World War One war movie. We're just like, fuck these people. Why are we doing this? Yeah, exactly. But no, there's obviously a good faith effort in the universe to be like, no, that, that, didn't, that didn't work. We need new ideas. The, the problem is they've gotten, I guess they've gotten so good at fascism that they've, you know, they're allowed to cycle in people with fascist ideas. But since fascism is such a shitty idea, they keep cycling out people real quick. Well, mm-hmm. they eventually found something that worked to some degree. Rico's original unit. That was formed at a boot camp was basically totally obliterated yeah. in the abject failure of the first operation on Clendathu, with Johnny himself ending up in a vat of magic goop as a result of the grievous injuries he suffered that night. It's uh, one of those things they show you in the first scene and then they come back to it. You're not quite sure what you're seeing at the beginning of the movie. Who is this guy? But then it's, uh, oh, it's him. He's the one getting owned by the bug. Uh, There's really awesome effects. On the alien battle on Clendathu, similarly wonderful set building in the infirmary too. 
Mm. Also, it's just I, I'd like to point out that any sort of fighting is the most bland, flat thing on the planet. Just, it's just guys standing there shooting. Yeah, like, no, it's, it's, there's it's, nothing dynamic about it. It's just, it's very. Blah. Well, if you think about it, that's how you attack something bigger than you. I know, <laughs> but it's just there. There's no, there's no stylizing this this fighting. It's no, it's it's four or five guys m totally mowing down e a big even, bug. Even like the camera angles doesn't do it. It's just flat scenes of men getting men shooting bugs. The scenes with the bugs come alive when you get the wide shots and you see all of them moving around like a swarm of bugs, because that's what they are. True. And there are little yeah. moments like when they climb over walls and they fall over and there's interactions with the actual physical built environment that allows your brain to say, oh, I'm watching a thing that's happening instead of yes. fixating yeah. on maybe the failures of how immersive 24 year old cgi is at any given moment because yeah. again this movie came out in 1997 and it looks awesome it looks yeah, great it, looks good. it doesn't it doesn't look its age no, it, it, looks, looks it looks better than movies that came out maybe even 10 years later well it's also yeah. the, the the flatness of the violence is so funny because it's like they're they're acting like they're like getting some but they're not they're not well that's they're actually kind of Verhoeven's thing he he gives you a plain exhibition of the grotesque violence, so you could just be like, wow, it's look at that. It's boring action, if you will. Exactly. Yeah, no, he doesn't want the violence to be the thing you fix it. The violence is supposed to be almost to break. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, go. And then it's back to, oh, fuck, everything's shaking and people are getting whipped around and dying. Well, yeah, it's like when you <laughs> see the firing, it's just like, oh, whatever. It's like then the guts are spilling out, the, the brains just shot everywhere. Yeah, the, while they are shooting and focusing their fire, that's when you're supposed to take a sip from your soda and breathe for a second. Yeah, because <laughs> most of the Verhoeven shots are uh, react like it, it's con like again consequential shots. Everything is like there. Everything. Everything has a payoff. Like if it's shown on screen for an extended period of time. One comparison that kept on leaping into my head was while appreciating all of these effects and how pleasantly integrated they are is this movie came out the same year as the phantom menace and you wait, compare wait. this to any of the star wars prequels starship troopers looks a million times better than them phantom menace came out in 97 no phantom menace was 99 dude oh you're making me oh shit damn how did i pull that off Either way, it, two years older than The Phantom Menace. Than the, my point stands. Actually, it stands harder. It does. Look at Jar Jar Binks and compare him to an any random bug in Starship Troopers. I wish uh, Jar Jar Binks was uh, switched to... Uh, Unclandathu. Yeah, it was Unclandathu. What if we just... Instead uh, of Diz. Instead of poor Diz. If, Clan, if Jar Jar was Unclandathu, that means they'd win. Oh, true. Plot shield. Crazy ass yeah, plot true. shield. You know, okay, how about this? Gungans in exchange for the bugs. We, The Gungans may die. Gungans are an even better enemy than the bugs. Yeah. yeah. One word out of their mouths and you're like, nope, kill them. They should have genocided them. Exactly. You put Jar Jar Binks on the vid screen? Oh, let's have a peace accord. My kill. God. Kill. 
Kill it. Kill it with fire. Oh. Why do you why do you think the Gungans are relegated to the bottom of the ocean while the humans are on, up on Naboo? <laughs> when the Neil Patrick Harris uh Gerbil psychic puts his hand to uh Jar Jar's head, it's like his nose starts bleeding. It's just like there's nothing there. What do you mean? There's nothing there. <laughs> Oh, if only we could have a Younglings Massacre for the Gungans. Yes. If only. Honestly, we should probably do our own Star Wars prequels episode at some point. We should. Yeah, just add it to the Italian restaurant. We'll make it a day. Eat a a sumptuous three-course Italian meal, and then melt our brains. The the murderous series are murder, because we watched all three prequels (laughs) back-to-back. We, uh, three-course Italian with three prequels. We yeah, each course is followed up by a prequel. Yes. Oh yes. Excellent. Excellent. For the prequel of Civilization, much we watch the prequel of Star Wars. Uh, I might watch the riff tracks for the Star Wars prequels on it. They're so much fun. Oh yeah. So much fucking fun. Okay, now back to the movie. We are found now with the return of Michael Ironside's character, now Lieutenant Ratchak instead of Mr. Ratchak. Now, this is a great twist and an awesome condensation of two separate characters from the book, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it's just a great way to keep you on the hook emotionally for, again, a movie that is about global fascism doing some sort of cosmic genocide. Yeah. Now, by using one man to fill the role of Johnny's teacher and his wonderful, perfect military officer, the audience gets a nice little bit of fulfillment in the storyline. and. Uh, because the first time you see Mr. Ratchak when he's still a teacher, he gives a very curt and sober recounting of his time in the military in- infantry. I mean, he does not wear a prosthetic day to day as a reason for that. He wants to show people, look at what happens. Try not to do this. If you really want to go for it, give it your all, but you don't have to. Also, the guy at the recruiting center had no legs. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah, no he arm. had one arm. He had one arm, that fella. No, there was a guy with no legs, I remember. No, it was the same. So the guy with no legs also had one oh. arm. He had a robot arm. Also, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think Mr. Ratchak has never been allowed to leave the service because once you're enlisted, you're enlisted. You're, you're allowed for the, those two years, but they always can keep re-upping you if they find you of use. Well, yes, of course. I believe you choose to go career at one point. That's, that's lined out oh, in the book more is? explicitly. Okay. Yes. And Ratchak is career sergeant, so... Oh, when there's a okay. war, he's there. It's a Prussian thing, almost. There hey, were career military officers, and then there were people who were just like, yeah, was, I did that, we had to. Now, Johnny looks to Ratchak for the paternal validation that he's explicitly denied by his anti-military father, who wants him to go to Harvard instead, and they'll pay for it. That's how rich Johnny's family is. So, wait, what is the year of this movie? Ooh, 90, oh. No, I mean, like, in the... the, the does it's intergalactic knows. travel, and there's a lot of shit happening, so uh, as I was going to say, like, 2300. This is all, my, I was going to say, remind 23rd you, 23rd century it. in the movie, 24th or 25th century in I was going to say, remember, some science fiction, uh, we've already passed those dates. Which is very funny. No, this is definitely still in the future. Okay. Uh, he gets the validation that he needs from Ratchak by getting promoted through the ranks as his comrades fall around him. Now, Rico 
who's fully invested with extra strength plot shield, of course. Yeah, of course. The worst thing he gets is like a thigh wound that gets immediately stitched up. Who would win, Johnny Rico or Jar Jar Binks? Jar Jar. Johnny Rico. You know what? We're we're you know we're gonna hold this for what I was talking about, Matt. The debate episode. Ah, yes, yes. Cross Casey Jones crossfire. Yes, yes. look out yes. for that one. You ignorant slut, Mac Keller. Maybe not this next episode, but the next episode after that. Give give me like a full week to yeah. give, us, give people a full week to like give questions. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh. Okay. Workshopping time over. Uh, yes. Rico. He continues to get promoted as his friends and comrades fall around him, up to and including Lieutenant Ratchek himself. It was his Obi Wan Kenobi moment. And Ironside's death scene is honestly stirring. Rico being the one to administer the mercy blow that was established best practices just beforehand. And that's actually something that I do appreciate about the, the character in the movie, how committed he is to lessening the suffering of the men around him. That seems to be his primary motivating force. He knows his men are going to suffer in the course of winning yeah, the war. Yeah, Ironside is a sympathetic character in some ways. Some ways, yeah. Th- that that, that he, He's a good character to focus on because Verhoeven essentially kind of gives you the allure of fascism in him because it's this like patina and the loot it's just, it's a character created by a propaganda film for the quote quote well the Nazis had something that had a direct analog to this they were called the old fighters yes that and so these were the people who were active in paramilitaries in between the world wars who obviously weren't killed you know with the rest of the brown shirts but the people who were considered to be elder statesmen within the Nazi war machine as the quote-unquote old fighters were given special privileges. They were lionized constantly as like, look at these perfect men who give their all their entire lives. It's literally the uh, headache of chivalry. It's like, uh, look at the, their great works and their... Uh, they said he once cleaved a man in twain with one strike. Oh, that kind of shit. Yeah, And in many ways, fascism was an attempt to revive the medieval European chivalric militarism. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Hitler uh, sometimes spoke explicitly in terms of crusades and uh, retaking of Frankfurt and all that jazz. He was really into, like, deep history for... uh, Oh, he loved that German Blackwoods type shit. He was way into that. Oh, my God, was he a dork. What a fucking nerd. Uh, Huge nerd. Oh, yes. Well, he also liked the, like, the fairy folk, like, myths of the... He thought, like, some legends were... It's like the Indiana Jones ship without, the, like, the real mysticism. It's just, like, he thought some of it's, like, there's hidden parts of the world where we'll prove that my Nazi dream was an O... Was it science? Now, here's a question for you all. Does Starship Troopers count as a war movie? And would, and if so, would you consider it glorification of war? I yeah, I don't think it's a war movie. It's it's a sci- it's, it's a sci-fi parody. It's a sci-fi war movie. No, it's a sci-fi e- parody. It was sci-fi. I, yeah, I was gonna say it's it's very much in the realm of parody satire because it isn't doing anything with the war, war like or, the yeah. actual victims, the people they're fighting the war for, the real. The, the real quote-unquote casualties off-screen. It's always like the Denise... It's the love triangle that gets more play. It's a drama more than anything, with war as a backdrop. Well, that's what a war movie is. So, Bridge on the River Quad. No, but, like, more so, like, a traditional, like... Lo- like Ian said, it's a love triangle story. It's a love story. Now, now, here you go. H- have you guys ever seen Bridge on the River Kwai? 
No, I I I have. It's a great movie. I, this, but this is more kind of closer. to This Pearl is Har- a microcosm, obviously, but this is closer to Pearl Harbor, though. True. That is also that is also very very good with South Pacific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the scenes where Carmen and Xander are in the bug cave, that is the tension in the presence of the bugs while they're being held was so fucking bridge on the river where they're just being. They're being marched across the fucking rice paddies, and I guess that's just a testament to how good Verhoeven did at hitting every note he wanted to. It at points, Starship Troopers fully becomes a war movie. True. The scenes where they are fighting those, but and you can really feel the movement across the battlefield. I would put it up against any other actual factual war movie. I would say the 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 death of Dizzy is. Oh, yeah. that's exactly right. The whole compound sequence. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. war movie. Oh my god, where they come across, they're all massacred, and they fight. Oh, it was like yeah. John Carpenter's The Thing and a war movie at the same time. And someone had to make each one of those little bodies. So cool. What a great job. Shout out to the special effects. The special effects are good, and also the prosthetics when they needed them were good. Every tiny little detail. I mean, when you said Verhoeven calls this the most expensive art film ever made, I understand that. 100 mil. 105, which is two years before Star Wars Episode One, which was 115 million. So. Well, Ian, you know the story of that, right? Yeah, I know. No, go lay it on me. Oh, no. The, the fact that, like, I was saying earlier that, um,. When he was making this movie, so like Sony, the company that was you know making it, kept swapping out all their execs every three or four months, so no one actually knew what was going on with Verhoeven. So he was just there making this movie, and no one was saying anything. And so when someone finally saw it at the end of it, they're just like, "What the fuck are you? What the fuck have you just made?" I have made art, and boy, boy, how did he ever fucking make art? I mean, my. God. The man got away with it. I've made a movie that challenges your preconceptions of what is sexy and what is good. I have made you sip at your own cup. Now spit it out. Spit out what you've been trying to sell us with for years. I was going to say, you're starting to real hard sound like Werner. I was going to say, is this Paul Verhoeven as a dentist? Yeah. Spit! Spit und swish! Spit (laughs) und swish, you swill! Now open your mouth again! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> now, along the lines of the question I just asked before, is any war movie a good war movie, considering that the glorification of war itself is bad? It's bad to make war into a fun, happy thing that you can think of pleasantly? The problem is, it's, it's, in, it's in our... I'm not saying this as like, oh man, war is in our DNA, but it's like the, the impulsive violence of competition... The, the need to see it, or at least express it in some form, is in our species' natural expression, it so seems. I, I, I agree with Ian on this. Uh, yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to actually act on it. The mo- like Modern society and the expression of psycho- psychiatric care and uh, art has proven that, you know, if anything, you know, me- visual medias and, you know, virtual medias excel and, in fact, surpass any of the quote-unquote illicit thrills of actual warfare.
Yeah, I mean, Akira Kurosawa, and well, I, no, was he a right wing Japanese? No, he was pretty was liberal. Okay, so the, but uh, well, there were lots of right wing Japanese filmmakers after World War II, and they talk a big game about wanting the glory of the former empire and the loss of the essential Japanese uniqueness with the samurai and whatnot. But they seem to be having an awful lot of fun making the damn movies versus uh dying of i don't know dysentery when in doubt dysentery radiation poisoning getting stabbed to death in an open field yeah yeah also that yeah that's kind of like the end result of japanese imperialism you've been irradiated you're the only people who's ever been irradiated in a war that's a good point yeah. great job you dumb fucked up <laughs> they they figured out what happens when you fuck around and find out. And you have someone as simple as Harry Truman at the other end of the fucking phone line. Sure, I'll yeah, pull what, the trigger. Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? Fuck it, why yeah, not? Fuck it, why not? Oh, but <laughs> my father, he will be very keen to bring this up. The ground war in Japan would have been brutal because God knows, God knows we would not have waited long enough just to fucking start. We would have had to have gone in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. People. The leftists, and me included, firmly believe that you could have waited them out and it would have worked, but America would not have done that. No, it wouldn't. Nor have. would the Soviets. The Soviets would have wanted it. They would have been more than capable of taking it. Yeah. Yeah. And they would have, actually. They would. No, but would that have been a good thing, Soviet Japan? Never. No. The, 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 it would have been weird. It would have been a different kind of weird. Do you think hentai would have developed from Soviet Japan? Mmm, underground. Anti-communist hent. Oh God, no! That's awful. Yes, guys. Uh, no, the only problem with this is like Japan would then become immediately the first battlefield for World War Three between the Soviets and the Americans. That's true. Oh no! And then Godzilla would be real. Yeah, because we'd drop more nukes and we'd hit. Well, first Gamera would be real because we hit a turtle first, yeah. and then we'd hit a cool little lizard. Then Godzilla would be real. I like that song by Blue Oyster Cult. Um, don't fear the reaper. What? No, Godzilla. I know. I know. <laughs> no, it's uh, Florida Man. Uh, the climax of Starship Troopers features Johnny's love interest, Carmen Ibanez, having been shot down from orbit over planet P by bug weaponry. That's that heavy artillery that they managed to miss, we mentioned earlier. They're careening deep into a cave, only to be confronted by the thought center of the bug forces on planet P. A brain bug. Said P. Yes, I did. Hmm. And uh, at some point, they say we're going to we're going to planet P to get that brain, <laughs> which nice. is just a great way to refer to getting dome, getting your. We're going to going we're, we're, gonna get, yo, we're going to planet P, yo. To get we're get we're going back to planet P to get that brain. We're gonna get it from that vagina monster. <laughs> I mean, bug brain bug. Not vagina monster, brain but bug. You say potato, I say vagina monster. When I make turkeys at work, um, I can, you know, I have the neck to roast alongside of it. So when I come back to the department with it, I'll just go, does anyone want any neck? Anybody? Oh, girl, you got that neck like a brain bug. Neck, you know, neck being a euphemism for oral sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, that brain bugussy gonna make me act up. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. That's something I don't want to think about coming from Matt. 
But no, as uh, the giant gelatinous lump scoots its way towards Carmen's flight partner, Xander, and then promptly sucks his brains out like a savory Capri Sun. Yeah, it almost, it almost looks like it's using a straw, too. I love it. He gives a Planet of the Apes-style final act of feudal defiance before he is left as a man-shaped husk. Uh, who, I might add, Patrick Muldoon did an awesome job as the romantic foil to Johnny Rico and Casper mm. Van Diem. Awesome, awesome job being the guy who is obviously going to fuck your girl. Mr. Fuck Your Girl. And he, di- and he did. He got a brain bug. Yeah, then he died. Owned. Honestly, the end of the film is sort of flat compared to the emotional roller coaster that is maintained for the better part of an hour and a half. But I suppose that's the nature of war, though. I mean, one minute you're deep in the shit, and the next minute it's over. Well, at least they used to end, I think. Used to. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if wars end anymore, no, though. No, they, they literally... What, what do you mean, a war ending? Wars don't end, and like this movie, the war doesn't end. Yeah, that's the point that Verhoeven closes on. Yeah. Yeah. Giant CGI letters that scream, they'll keep fighting, and, and they'll, they'll win. win. And they'll win, eventually. Don't think about it. Don't think about how, how horrifically outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, and out... Just don't think about just it. Just don't think about it. Though, I will say this, on like the third or fourth time I've watched this movie, by the end of it, god damn do I love that scene. It is just like, yeah, they will win. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) You're just so caught up and It's a great movie. This movie manages to sell you on global fascism for just a split second. Because it's a fun movie. It's a fucking movie. It's a Verhoeven movie. (laughs) He's great at it. He's so good at it. Fourth Reich, led by Paul Verhoeven, but ironically. I mean, at least these fuckers get healthcare and free public education and cool goodies. Yeah. We don't get shit. We get all the fascist oppression and nothing. What, you don't like your fascist oppression? I would like at least some goodies. Some sort of trinket, a shiny toy. I want the fascist oppression with all the good things that that somehow come with it. Neoliberalism is the uh, agreement of, yes, we have fascism, but now argue for your goodies. But now you get nothing. Nobody gets anything. And it's just like, in the situation where you have a global human hegemony, which is apparently, at least in Paul Verhoeven's world, multi-ethnic and somewhat multicultural, maybe. Who knows? You can close your eyes to the deepest, darkest part and say, look at that, humans are living, yay! That's more than we could possibly hope for right now, a continued human grace. Well, I think think you're just uh, picking up on Paul Verhoeven's uh, innate, like, non-shittiness. <laughs> he, yes. he he likes putting a lot of different people in his movies because... Well, something tells me he would probably have a similar outlook in terms of, gee, wouldn't it be nice if humanity wasn't completely fucked? Yeah, I would kind of take this if it meant that humans wouldn't all die en masse as a result of, I don't know, being swallowed alive by the oceans. Or... Or pestilence. Yeah, the problem is the system will find always a... a, a enemy that needs to, you know, either create or to react to that will, you know, destroy it. Like you said, if they can't find one, they'll make one. Exactly. Which will probably be worse than the one they find. Mm. This will be one of us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. How come all these good stories always end on notes like this, where it's like, yeah, but then the worst thing will happen. I mean, you think about uh, Ozymandias in Watchmen. Yes, he drops the squid on you. And then what? And then the show or the book happen, and, well, 
the sh- choose your worst adventure. Uh, I would say the show <laughs> has salvageable moments. The book. You don't want to think about the implications of the book. Yeah, the book really. Uh, so it's- we're talking about Doomsday Clock, right? We're, we're talking about Doomsday Clock. We're talking about Starship Troopers. We're talking. Books are the place where you're free to end on a sad note. There's no need to be like, and then they lived and sort of kind of happily ever after. Yeah, yeah, and then they fucked. Yeah, <laughs> that that's the real equivalent to they lived happily ever after. They fucked at the end. And Alan Moore's they fucked so hard. The end. Oh, that makes about perfect sense. And I think that makes just about a perfect place for us to end things for tonight, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you guys have any closing thoughts on Starship Troopers? It's an excellent movie. Excellent story. Excellent message. Just wish people knew it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, p- people were kind of, uh, oh, well, was. People are mush-brained. Like, what, what can you do? Yeah. It's, it's that koala brain syndrome. It was close to the D- a Crocodile Dundee era as well. So, yeah, that koala brain syndrome was going hard. Well, I think a couple of weeks after this movie was released, maybe even a couple of weeks beforehand, Clinton started bombing the shit out of Serbia. So that was our first taste at the prospect of forever war. Yeah. In a couple of decades at that <laughs> point, honestly. Yeah. Like, we, had, we had been over the war thing for a good long while by 1997. It felt like beating a dead horse. It's like, Oh, look at Paul Verhoeven worried about forever war. Yeah. And now, uh, whoopsie. We live it. <laughs> we, yeah, it's right? now. It's here. What do you mean you're worried about a, a, a militarized private police state? What are you talking about? You're worried about corporations becoming so powerful that they actually can make us, you know, starve and, you know, you know die of, uh, you know, lack of oxygen. What do you mean we're going to be in forever you war? You mean oxygen isn't free? Oh, Paul, you're such a worry wart. Oh, after the total recall and this, man, you're such a Debbie Downer. Yeah, and, man. And then history Oops, he was right. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. You you know the minute that all this shit started to happen in America, Verhoeven was just like, uh. I fucking told, told you. Called it, bitches. <laughs> There's a reason why he lives in Europe again. Well, it's because he can make his movies there. Yeah. He got blacklisted uh, by the uh, American. He can, yeah, he can make his he can make his movies for him, like what George Lucas wants to do. But Verhoeven, Verhoeven was actually doing yeah. it. And now apparently his next project is to make the Legend of Conan after the okay. uh, the nun after thing. the lesbian nuns after the lesbian nuns. So uh-huh. tell you what, boys, I think we've done a mighty fine job with this and tonight. So let's get our plugs in and get the fuck out of here, Josh. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at use underscore parrots. Um, tweet me out things that you want to hear Matt and Ian debate about in a future episode. Yes. Oh, yes. No, we're going to get on that post haste. Don't you worry. We're going to be- beat that drum real good. Yes. Get them to me and I will set up a debate between the two of them. Who knows? It might even be fair. Absolutely. Now, Ian, where can people find you? Oh, uh, IanGabriel.net, IanGabriel underscore draw stuff, and of course, Oof is 21. Oof, underscore, it's underscore. 2021 on Twitter. I am tired. Sorry, guys. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And with that, I'm your host, Matt Keller. You can find me on Instagram at mrkeller93. Follow the podcast on Twitter at CaseyJonesPod. Be sure to check out our episode archive at CaseyJonesPod.wordpress.com. But we are also available on Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are available. And if you really, really want to, 
Give us a dollar at patreon.com slash Casey Jones pod, where we have three tiers, a dollar thirty nine, three fifty five dollars. And as always, listen early, listen often, tell your friends. And with that, bye bye. Oh, my God, it's a bug. Bug. Mm. Bug. Bug.